Caustic Soda is made possible in part by the Howard P. Lovecraft Foundation, the Corporation for Morbid Podcasting, and listeners like you. Visit causticsodapodcast.com slash support to make a donation or to pick up a t-shirt emblazoned with the Caustic Soda logo that I slaved over a hot computer all day to make for you hippies. Fleeing from a country bumpkin with an AK-47? Try an elevator. I'm Kevin Leeson. This aggression will not stand, man. I'm Joe Fulgham. How do you fix a war-torn country? Blow it up. Mission accomplished. I'm Jordan Pratt. Secrets of a condemned dictator's hairstyle revealed. I'm Torn Atkinson. Today on Caustic Soda. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Caustic Soda. Guess who's with us today? Guess. I'm going to go on a limb and say Jordan. Jordan Pratt. Hello, everybody. He's a good friend of ours and the drummer for my band, The Darkest of the Hillside Thickets, and an enthusiast, if not a paid consultant. <laughs> if not. On uh, modern desert warfare. Specifically? The current Iraq war. Yes, it's still happening. Operation Iraqi Punishment. The, freedom, freedom. <laughs> the uh, the longest running war in American history. It's, uh, it's gone on longer than the, the MASH series. Wow, Whoa, the series itself. The series itself, yeah. Which was four times as long as the actual Korean, Korean war. war. Yeah, Korean and I can conflict. tell you everyone is thrilled with the results of, of the war. Well, imagine the TV episode possibilities. Much like MASH, it's award-winning. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the Iraq War is an Academy Award winner now. A Darwinian Award winner, I think. Yeah. Who would star in the MASH-like sitcom about Operation Iraq, Iraqi Freedom? Who would be the Alan Alda? Well, yeah. He'd <laughs> be the wisecracking He's already uh, done empath. the president or something, though. He's already in Westman. 24, but I think Kiefer Sutherland could get in there somehow. Yeah. Like, yeah. he'd be like the badass uh, military intelligence operative. Yeah, that's a good call. I would, think we could throw Patton Oswalt in there for uh, oh, sure. yes. a little bit of uh, biting would he, sarcasm. Would he be Radar? No. No, no, he'd be Donald Rumsfeld. Louis. <laughs> Who will be the cross-dressing clinger uh, of Operation oh, I can't Iraqi his name. Freedom? Paul somebody. He's Paul Rudd? No, <laughs> Paul Rudd, well, Paul Rudd definitely has to be in there. You know what the great part about MASH was? It was like the last show on television that didn't really have any good-looking people in it. I don't know. Coronation <laughs> Street is still on. What about oh, that Hot doesn't Lips? count. That's English. There's nobody good-looking in the whole country. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we got. Really, eh? Really? That was a confusing thing because Hot Lips Houlihan was supposed to be the sexy babe. I was like, really? I guess you get yeah. what you can get <laughs> when you're in <laughs> Korean War. They were even uglier in the feature film, in the, uh, in the Altman movie. They were, But at least they got ugly. naked, and that improves women's yeah. beauty quite a bit. That's true. I guess we should probably talk about our topic. Desert warfare. Exactly. We're, we're going to talk about uh, invasion, Operation Iraqi Freedom, and uh, sort of it's grinding. No, I was not going to say conclusion, but it just keeps going and going and no, going. No. I, I saw it. Mission accomplished. I saw the banner. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and the end of combat operations, which means we're not going to have any more uh, military civilian uh, casualties. That worked out awesome. Are you being sarcastic? Oh right now? boy, am I ever! To preface, we kind of have to talk about the first the Gulf history, War, right? Yeah, we got to kind of go back and set the stage. I am woefully under knowledgeified, and I think a lot of this, even though it's happening right now in my life, it's probably and it one happened, of the things I pay least attention. It to. It happened earlier in their life too. I mean, you were probably yeah. still in high school when the first one went. So out. I'll be the guy asking the most stupid questions. I'll be struggling away with the answers because even though I follow uh, all the conflicts going on right now, I still had to do a little uh, review session. On the internet, I'm like, okay, which which country was the Taliban in? And we have insur- insurgents in both, but I thought it was America. Wow, you are an expert. How did you get involved? How did you get on this show? 
Well, you know, I'm not pro-war. I am pro-soldier, though. Oh, okay, all right. Do you actually have any bona fides? Is there a, uh, a reason? No, that- no. Uh, I was going to join the military right after high school, but I got a record deal instead. So I think oh, I know a thing or two go. about running a battleship. Well, I was in the military right after high school. Were you? Yeah. I didn't know that. Two years in the reserve. I actually uh, applied to go to school at Royal Roads Military College. Oh, yeah. Uh, they turned me down. Um, I actually tested over 100% on their little uh, review program. Really? How is that possible? There was a bonus question. I got that one one right, oh, too. Oh, I see. <laughs> that, sadly, that's not a joke. That's so you got 200% because there was only two questions? They turned me down because I hadn't been a cadet or a reservist before I applied for school. And so then I joined the reserves, and I was in the reserves for two years, and briefly considered uh, becoming a uh, regular military personnel person. And then I, then I started... Thinking meeting. for yourself? No, I started meeting girls in college. And, oh. you know, and it all falls down from there, the, yeah. The whole aggression and wanting to take people to war kind of... Well, I think it's also right because the, the Canadian military doesn't have the PR machine that the U.S. military does. It's where our military is basically completely mythos-free. Yeah, I thought, and they don't have the hardcore recruiters either. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I saw a program on the Canadian basic training, and although it looks tough, everyone seems much more reasonable. Mm-hmm. Well, you didn't really clean your weapon properly, so you know you want to make sure you get that next time. <laughs> yeah. Rather than drop and give me twenty. Well, my friend Fred was an army recruiter, and uh, I went to his office once, and he had that sign on his cubicle. Join the army, see the opposing army. <laughs> that talks to how we Canadians view war. So Gulf War, why? How? Well, you know, the invasion of Kuwait, right? Yeah. That's how it all began. Yep. When? The very first one, yeah. 1990? 1991. There we go. And I have two friends who were in the Gulf War, and they are uh, First Nations, so they were able, they're Canadian, but they were able to go down and join the Marines. One of them regularly ran marathons and was in excellent shape, and his brother, who drove him down to the recruiting station, smoked about two packs a day. He was basically the John Cougar Mellencamp of the two brothers, (laughs) and drank a lot. And they both got inducted into the Marines, and they both got sent over to the Gulf. And the guy who was super fit ended up driving a general around in a Humvee for the whole campaign. And the guy who smoked two packs a day ended up being a ground pounder, basically just walking across sand and digging holes. And he thought that was tremendously unfair. Did they both think it was tremendously unfair? Because the no, guy the one was guy... fit wanted to go around and <laughs> dig up holes? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I joined because I wanted to stump across sand carrying 100 pounds of equipment. What the hell? So something about oil? What? What What exactly was Saddam's rationale? Because, you know, even at the time I certainly didn't get it. And even now in calm, cool reflection, I'm not 100% sure what he thought he was going to achieve. By invading Kuwait. I think he was going to achieve more craziness. Yeah, he's just a megalomaniac, right? Yeah, I mean, and his, his uh, the problem that most of the Arab countries have with Kuwait is that there's an American presence there, and automatically... Oh, yeah, there's not an American presence in any other Arab states. Well, yeah, exactly. But I think the beef they had with it is, you know, that's a pretty large oil-generating company, and there's basically infidels on the ground there, and we should do something about that. And if your neighbor is a crazy-ass like Saddam Hussein, you know, why not try and push the envelope and see what the Americans are going to do? Saddam Hussein himself was pumped up by the the Americans. Like, without the Americans, he wouldn't have been in power either. Well, that's that's the great thing about the Middle East. I mean, you can train these guys, and then and five years later, you can end up fighting them. Now, wasn't there something where Iraq told America that they were going to invade Kuwait and and asked her, you can do anything about this? You have a problem with that? They basically said, no, we're neutral. We don't care. And then Kuwait contacted America after the invasion happened. And they were like, and said, hey, bro, what up? That's right. And they were all stacked up on the answering machine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, beep. again, this is Saddam. Uh, I'm going to invade Kuwait. If you guys are, so, I mean, you were cool with that when we had breakfast last week. Call so. me back in like 10 minutes. Yeah, he's just we're... chilling at Camp <laughs> yeah. David or whatever, right? And he's like, I'm not answering all weekend long. You got beep. 
Hey, Georgie boy, it's Kuwait here on the other line. Um, yo, what up? You got her back or what? It's like that that drunk buddy at the bar who, who you know goes to get into a fight and, and then it, turns around and expects you to be there to get punched in the face for, on his behalf. That's right. I have some Russian tanks uh, parked in my front lawn. Are you going to do anything about this? Oh, this is so not my problem. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. And I, don't, I don't know why Iraq would believe America anyway. We're going we're to invade Kuwait. Are you going to do anything about it? No, well, the US, you should do that. You should so do that. Yeah, we won't do anything. Promise. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say the U.S. frequently promises things it doesn't deliver on. Well, I'm but so- Iraq was pretty gullible <laughs> even after the first Gulf War because the United States urged a lot of Iraqi military units that were loyal to Saddam and a few uh, rebels in the north. They said, if you start rebelling and topple Saddam Hussein, we are so going to be there right. with our tanks and air support and CIA training and small pockets of special forces. Right. We're going to be all over that. And so they started a revolution, and that's when you heard about Saddam Hussein, you know, basically butchering the Kurds en masse and uh, going into Basra and, you know, basically killing anyone of military age because the U.S. basically stood by while the rebel forces that they'd urged to rebel were tried to topple Saddam Hussein. Yeah. Oops, they didn't quite get it and done. And that, that kind of being a, a major message in the uh, movie Three Kings. Exactly. Yeah. We're here to help. Well, see ya. Yeah. And we're taking a bunch of money with us. When I was going to university, uh, I had a job in order to pay tuition and all that stuff, and I worked in the arcade. And, like, the video game arcade? Yes, the video game arcade at, at the University of British Columbia. Uh, and one of the coolest, nicest guys always had a smile on his face, and he was you know, a brown guy, right? And so one day I asked him, I said, oh, where, where, are, you, where are you actually from? Are you like Indian? Are you Arab? Like, what is, what's going on there? And he said, oh, I'm Kuwaiti. This was uh, you know, in like 1993 or 94. And so right. I said, well, thank God you weren't there when the whole thing went down. And he says, no, no, I was there. And then he started, proceeded to tell me, like, all these personal, like, on-the-ground stories. His parents were vacationing in Europe when the invasion happened. So him, when he was, like, 15 and his little brother was, like, 12, got trapped. And they kicked them out of their house because they wanted to make it into a military depot or something like that. Okay, yeah. So they became street kids for, like, three years. He would, like, crash on friends' couches. Can I interrupt and ask how long was this parental vacation? Well, they got stuck outside. They were only supposed to be gone like a couple of weeks, oh, but they got man. stuck outside the country. It was a three-hour tour. The most <laughs> <laughs> tragic timing of all time, right? So the one that really resonates with me, I mean, he told me dozens of stories, but the one that always stuck with me, he said, you know, I just was kind of kept my head down. It was all about surviving, the whole nine yards. And I went to see this friend of mine who lived in a high-rise. And I was sitting there waiting for the, um, waiting for the elevator, and this Iraqi soldier walks in. And, of course, there's summary executions all the time, like – you know, these guys always carrying guns, and they can do whatever they want, and nothing will ever happen to them, right? Yeah, exactly. So, of course, when one of these guys comes up, everybody tenses up. So you stand there, and the guy's like, hey, why are you loitering, right? You know, move along. He's like, I'm waiting for the elevator. He's like, an elevator? What? He didn't understand the term. So then the doors open, and this guy kind of looks in and looks around this little box. And he's like, yeah, it takes you up to the other floors. Infidel. <laughs> he didn't, yeah, the Iraqi soldier was like some country rube who'd never even heard of an elevator. And he's like, I'm going to take the stairs. So the Iraqi soldier went to take the stairs because he was scared of the elevator. Awesome. And when this guy got on the elevator and he pressed his buddy's place at like the 30th floor or whatever, he said, it was the only time during the whole thing that I was really, really angry because this ignorant yeah. son of a bitch yeah. had my life in his hands. If he'd taken me outside and shot me in the head. That it would have been it for me. No one would have even known that I had existed the whole nine yards, and he had control over life or death over me, and he didn't 
know what a fucking elevator was. Yeah. Wow. So imagine like, multiplying that guy by 130,000. Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, the average uh, education of the of a U.S. soldier is much, much higher than that. Of course, everybody knows about elevators. But this is the kind of thing that starts people resenting the occupational force. If you walk in there and you're not familiar with the culture, and I'm using the elevator as a metaphor for culture. So your way of even treating people on the street is going to generate a lot of anger and mm-hmm. a lot of, and which is basically what the U.S. military has been doing there since it first walked. In. You know, the uh, the first Gulf War ends, tied up with a bow, that yep. boat, you know, it all worked itself out, Saddam's still in power. Well, how did that end resolve? They just kind of like, oh, they pulled the Iraqi forces out of Kuwait and then, what, we're done? Good times? Well, basically the military command at the time was advising against going all the way to Baghdad to topple Hussein because they were worried about exactly. another Vietnam. Because <laughs> they were saying, well, you know, we don't have the training, we don't have the equipment, we can't topple this guy and then expect to keep the country in one piece. So we're going to stop here. And the administration at the time said, yeah, that's a good idea. What we'll do is we'll throw on economic sanctions, which were working, but they were too broad-based. So you also had, you know, uh, Iraqi children dying in hospitals of toothaches because there weren't enough medical supplies. So that's bad. That is bad. Yeah. But the he also wasn't able to acquire nuclear weapons. Band-aids are not the same as yellow cake or uranium. There could have been a little bit of fine-tuning of the containment yeah, policy there. And uh, the U.S. military was also uh, had a no-fly zone, which was sort of containing the, uh, the Iraqi military. So that was um, basically a war of attrition, which nobody really likes because you can't really measure the results of a war of attrition because... We do like measurable results. It just takes too long. It's much better if you just roll in with an armed force, kill everything in sight, and then you can actually say that you won. Yeah. So I think that was kind of the mindset at the time. You know, because the first Gulf War was all just bombs. Well, yeah, everyone was always saying after we, after we, after the U.S. got out of there, we should have gone all the way. We should have hanged that guy. Everything would be great. But the commanders at the time in the military were saying, well, no, that would have been terrible. What we should try and do is the most economical way we can contain this guy and stop him from being a threat is basically preventing him from getting yellow cake uranium and Band-Aids and making sure his, his military is not allowed to resupply itself and fly around. Yellow cake uranium, by the way, is the tastiest of all the yes. uraniums. Yeah. I prefer sponge cake uranium. Sponge cake, that's right. Chocolate chip uranium cake. So Gulf War One is done, and now we get on to actually our main topic. Yeah, Later Gulf War on. II. Do we need to talk about Gulf War Syndrome before? Yeah. I, have a, I have a crackpot theory about what caused that. I yeah, don't know if it's true or not. No Let's one... speak briefly about what it is. Gulf War Syndrome, GWS. Uh, symptoms include fatigue, loss of mus- muscle control, etc., 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 memory problems, immune system problems, and birth defects. Exposure to toxic chemicals is the cause of the illness, it says right here, mm-hmm. such as nerve gas, antidote, depleted uranium. They're not quite sure, but they're investigating. Yeah, but they've been investigating for 20 years. They haven't been able to figure yep. it out yet. And one of the theories that came up was, remember when we had all those U.S. troops in Kuwait and we were resupplying them by uh, landing Hercules jets and dropping pallets of supplies on the hot tarmac? Well, everyone loves Diet Coke. And the theory is because of the um, chemicals in Diet Coke would sit there and bake in the sun. That's what caused Gulf War Syndrome. Oh, Diet Coke. What? It's, it's got to be BS. I mean, it can't be that simple, right? No, they've. you can cook with Diet Coke. That's a lot hotter than the sun. You can cook with Diet Coke? You, you can boil it and, yeah. Not the center of the sun, though. Yeah, I was about to say. I didn't, well, yeah. lot, lot, if you no. threw a Diet Coke right at the sun, <laughs> then, then you fired a Diet Coke at the yeah, sun, I it think. Would, it, would, it would vaporize and probably change into some other form of Yeah, Gulf right. War Syndrome. You give, right. you 
Venus Gulf War Be- syndrome. Yep. Oh, it's so effects. hot that you can <laughs> sublimate a can of Diet Coke. But I yeah, mean, there uh, there are actually a lot of theories. There's actually even theories that Gulf War syndrome is merely just uh, post traumatic post traumatic stress disorder. The serial numbers the, wild the, off. The birth defects is kind of a weird one though. Or you just figure those are going to be regular birth defects that would have happened anyway. Yeah, birth defects caused well, by nightmares. No, from the, combat experience. The birth defects they're talking about, from what I've seen uh, in my research, is uh, actually at the Basra University Hospital in Iraq. They've got this really telling graph. It's right here, guys. I'll put it up on the site. And you see that the spike happens in 98 uh, and goes up. Now, this is after the first uh, war and before the second. So I'm not sure what caused that. Uh, That could be – it's even possible that that's where sanctions came in. Uh, and we're starting to really affect things. You know I don't know. They, c- they could only get Diet Coke from that point forward. But I think no <laughs> drinking water, <laughs> Diet right. Coke only. They put, they put a nipple on the Coke bottle and <laughs> feed the babies with it. <laughs> we but solved here's, it. Here's the really telling thing. Uh, an April 1998 article in the Emerging Infectious Diseases similarly found no increased rate of hospitalization and better health overall for veterans of the Persian Gulf War versus veterans who stayed home. Okay. So as bad as it might have been out there, it was worse to stay at home in America. Where I guess there's a lot of Diet Coke. And about the same rate of gunshot wounds, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably. I remember this Gulf War Syndrome thing at the time, and I remember mm-hmm. there being news stories about it talking about, is it real or is it not real? Yeah, right? and unfortunately, of course, a lot of people on the uh, military authority side came down on the same side as they did with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. It's just a bunch of namby-pamby yeah. gold brickers who are, you know... Or queers. To, yeah. Could have been, been the queers. <laughs> that's right. Here's something else that's uh, interesting about post-traumatic stress disorder looking at an older war, uh, they reviewed medical records of 15,000 American Civil War soldiers, and they showed that those who had lost at least 5% of their company had a 51% increased risk of later development of cardiac, gastrointestinal, or nervous disease. So what they did was they looked at these old uh, medical records that they had from the American Civil War and just decided to compare people who had lost a lot of uh, their their buddies in in the right. war to those who didn't and there's this is a very significant statistical blip like <laughs> this is this is telling you know you read all these sort of things all these statistics and you start to think to yourself i wonder if the spartans had post-traumatic stress disorder. I wonder if those guys... 300? They might have lived their guys. entire lives like that. Yeah, like, you know? Even their training would cause stress. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> the reason that they're the way that they are is they're all out of their minds yeah. from the stress of being 12 years old Shaky and thrown to and the wolves. When does Operation Iraqi Freedom start? So when officially did the Gulf War end? When did they put up their mission accomplished banner that time around? Whenever the Bush administration said it did. Yeah, it was only like a year and a half or something. Yeah, it was like very, that. very short. Yeah. And then the uh, new one... Like, it's kind of funny, uh, you know, we all know September 11th changed everything, but before, just prior to September 11th, they were saying that, you know, the containment policy was working. Well, you know, most people were saying that. There was a few detractors who were saying that, you know, of course, no, it's not working. But, it, they, you know, they didn't actually decide to roll in until after se- September 11th. They didn't actually make it a priority. And even then, they were thinking about concentrating on, on Afghanistan before mm-hmm. September 11th and had all their forces sort of massed on that front. Oh, before September 11th? Before September 11th, they were thinking about rolling into Afghanistan to take out the Taliban because the Taliban was openly supporting and working with Pakistan. Yeah. Pakistan. Well, they still are. The duality of Pakistan. Yeah, they still are working (laughs) with Pakistan. Uh, Like, they had their eye on Osama bin Laden before Mm -hmm. September 11th. Yeah, because he had set off had, the other truck bomb in the World Trade Center. He'd been hiding in, in on the Pakistani border long right. before September 11th, basically, and, and running a lot of terrorist training bases out of Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So if anyone was wondering why the hijackers were Saudis, but we invaded Afghanistan, because I know a lot of people were confused about that. It was mm-hmm. just because that plan was already in place. They were already after.
after Osama bin Laden, mm-hmm. and they really wanted to shut down all these terrorist training camps. And, you know, the mountains are beautiful. That time of year. And the Saudi regime is their buddies. I mean, even, well, yeah. even if they're a bunch of Saudi guys who get annoyed at America and go off and join the terrorist training camp, it doesn't mean that Saudi Arabia is actively You're not all them. jerks. <laughs> <laughs> and same with Pakistan. On the face, they're a U.S. ally, but right at the border. I mean, you even have their military just sort of openly supporting Taliban elements. And that's the kind of like duality that you run into in, right. in countries that aren't... Um, you know, they they have a lot more competing interests and they're a lot more complex than we give them credit for. Yeah. You know, a lot of people just say, oh, you know, they're goat farmers and that's that. Well, no, this is civilization that's thousands of years old and has a little more layers to it than mm-hmm. we want to give them credit for. And they're opium farmers, too. You can't take that off the table. No, you can't. Not if you don't have another job to replace it. So what was the question? When did the invasion of Iraq start, which was uh, March 20th, 2003 mm-hmm. is when the military campaign began with the invasion of Iraq. Yep. And the whole purpose was to get Saddam. And that's it. Uh, regime change was their priority. So, you know, secure the oil is another really huge priority. I don't think they, that was That's funny. They didn't mention that. No, yeah. no, they no. didn't mention that. And everybody knows, like, we're, we're going on this podcast predicated that the weapons of mass destruction thing was a, a load of crap because... What does it even mean? Doesn't everybody have those? America's got a whole bunch. But, like, isn't a, isn't a really good bomb a weapon of mass destruction? Yeah, but, I mean, if, if you've got a couple of warheads that are loaded with... With a compound that can disable, say, a hundred thousand troops, that's a okay. weapon of mass destruction. Especially if you can plant one in a in a city. It doesn't have to be in America. You know, it can be in Prague or Paris or okay. something like that. That's that's so a weapon of mass destruction. So basically, it's America saying only we may have weapons of mass destruction. Yeah, well, exactly. No, only them and the Chinese and the Russians and the, Russians. And the Pakistanis and the Indians and yep. and uh, Israel, France and, yeah. and uh, UK. So yeah, they went in there. Um, you know, they gave everybody the excuse that this guy's really really bad which was true but the yeah. you know the other the opposing argument to that is there's a whole bunch of people all over the place that are really bad you could start for instance with Russia which is basically run by mobsters but oh we're not going to pick on them right they're too big china's too big they don't have enough oil so let's concentrate on this guy because we really want the oil and our buddies in saudi arabia really want us to get rid of this guy and you know if we went in there and rolled in and just destroyed everything and took over the country that would neutralize the threat of terrorism right cuz nobody resents an occupying army. No, never. Right? No. It's totally going to work, guys. Greeted as liberators. Yeah. Might might have been yeah. true if they hadn't have abandoned all the guys that they wanted to help them uh, yeah. during that last one. Okay, guys, just w- wait wait about uh, 10 years. Don't That's try and overthrow right. them. Just wait 10 years. Wait. Raise your kids. Be calm. Pretend to play along. We'll yep. be back. And, of course, the idea of throwing out the uh, Vietnam playbook before rolling into Iraq was brilliant. Which, again, they didn't seem to do in that first one. In the first one, they were like, this is going to be hard. Let's just own the air, and anybody pops their head up, we'll take them out. And it seemed to, when when watching that on the news, it seemed to me like it was like, oh, wow, they really learned from their loss in Vietnam. They're not going to do that again. Okay, cool. Well, good. And they're freeing a country. I'm kind of, I'm behind this war. This is a, a, quote, good war. Yeah, because you can see that camera footage of that missile hitting the building they were aiming for. Right? Yeah, that's also You notice good. they don't put cameras on the missiles that take out a bunch of goat herders. Right. They don't put cameras on those ones. Or schools well, or we hospitals. D- yeah, we do have some cameras, uh, camera footage of people later on taking being taken out that probably shouldn't have. Well, there's bound to be a few civilian casualties or, you know, a couple hundred thousand. All right, so the thing Yeah, let's starts, talk about collateral damage. Collateral damage, that's a good place to go. I, the first Gulf War wasn't the actual friendly fire. The collateral damage was more enemy Americans fire. hitting Americans than from any enemy fire by... Yep. By you know, a factor of five or 10 or something. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of friendly fire incidents, which are, you know, basically an old military tradition because of poor communications. But I think I heard like even at the time, I think to remember some story that the largest single casualty incident 
was like two armored personnel carriers like had a head-on collision and like 20 people died or something. Well, there were some tank battles in the first Gulf War where nobody could figure out who was shooting at who. So you ended up with a bunch of American tanks taking out a bunch of American tanks and basically leaving the Iraqi tank that was next to it completely unscathed. Can't they all paint them like pink or something to easy identification? Well, you'd think with the, you know, the the M1 Abrams, like main battle tank is just bristling with communications. Right. So you would think that they would be able to tell one from the other. And there was video of that, wasn't there? Of the, from inside, and you could hear the guy when he finds out that that he just blew up some allies yeah, and he's yeah. like not he's very upset yes, he's not happy yeah like, there's uh, some uh, recordings of jet fighters that took out yeah, uh, in the current conflict took yeah. out some Canadians yeah. and those guys got court-martialed did they? Yeah, I didn't know that because they were on um, those uh, methamphetamines yes because they needed to fly a bunch of missions in a row, so they put them on speed. Yeah. They put them up in the air, and they blew up a bunch of Canadians. Well, a lot of ground soldiers are using things like ripped fuel. Uh, you, you read the book Generation Kill, Joe. You remember? Uh, no, I've only seen the, the miniseries. Right, I haven't read the right. book. They don't, I don't think they go into it in the miniseries, but basically all these uh, rooster pills that you can buy at gas stations. If you rooster can imagine, pills? Rooster pills. Yeah, they're basically caffeinated tablets okay. to keep you awake. They make you grow a comb yeah. down the middle of your head. <laughs> <Yeah>. and, and, <laughs> and scratch on the ground a lot. Well, uh, ground soldiers, uh, you know, they're frequently asked to go 48, 72 hours with little or no sleep. Like so, doctors, doctors and fighter pilots. Yep. Just exactly the kind of people you want to be awake for three days straight. Well, and this is the thing, yeah, and, and you're driving across the desert meeting a hostile force that's intermixed with civilians, and you're, you're over-fatigued, but you have to make these life-or-death decisions in a couple of seconds. Well, and it's you're not completely, your life or your death. Yeah, you're completely, like, jumped up on nicotine or, or ephedrine, so it doesn't seem like a great mix. You think maybe, you know, having an operational pause so everyone Get some sleep would be a good idea. Well, no yeah. time. There's no time. We gotta That's get out. We gotta. Right. We gotta finish this war. Yeah. We gotta get out of here. Yeah, we gotta get in and out. We're on a timetable. In the uh, the first Gulf War, I've got the numbers here. The Americans and their uh, coalition buddies lost between 240 and 392 actual killed, 776 wounded. Kuwait lost 1,200. And they're looking at about 1,490 to 1,592 killed in total on that side. And Iraq lost 20,000 to 35,000 people. Keep in mind that the Iraqi military, their communications before the, the Americans rolled in, all their communications had been hit with cruise missiles. Right. They had no way of talking to other units. Uh, otherwise, they would have been you know, probably told to surrender. And uh, the Americans were doing things like uh, really cost-effective measures. But instead of machine gunning them, they would just have a a column of armored bulldozers just burying them in their fortifications as they rolled across them, which saves a lot of money, but it doesn't seem very uh, ethical somehow. I don't know. People say a lot about the U.S. military as far as their thinking is concerned, but you absolutely cannot beat those guys in a conventional war. They just have too many people and too many machines and too much training to be able to... Too much technology. Too yeah, much exactly. money. And no one so far has been able to screw their with their communi- communications and information technology enough to actually cripple the U.S. military. We used to go down to um, uh, some bases in Washington State to do uh, joint exercises. Oh, yeah. And if in Canada you lose your rifle, you get court-martialed and you go to jail. Right. In America, if you lose your rifle, you requisition a new one. <laughs> that's, that's your punishment, for paperwork. Ev- for everybody in the military, there's like seven M16s in warehouses for every single military personnel. Wow. And so yet we, I actually spoke to 
an American guy who was on his third rifle. Wow. Yeah. This is rifle number three. I, Do they actually, have to give it the same name? <laughs> yeah. I was wondering that too. <laughs> no, no, every I threw away my, my last one because I broke up with that girl. Yeah, exactly. Well, there's, there's actually there's, there's a suspicion amongst sort of the higher ups that some of these soldiers actually sell their yeah, rifles. Yeah, for sure. I was just thinking the to, same thing. Because yeah. they, they get paid Being, like $5 an hour, so they sell mm-hmm. the rifles and just requisition a new one. I lost it to that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Theft is for $1,000. Yeah. Theft and resale of equipment is pretty rampant in the in the U.S. military. There's a saying in the, in the Marine gear left to drift is a gift which means they're actually ripping off each other and selling their equipment to Ah, surplus stores and and Mm. other people so if anyone has an ar-15 to sell i might know where you can get rid of one i did a little bit of research and found out about sniper baiting i've never even heard of this this is where uh there was a 2007 report on cbs where they had talked about these american military guys who would plant detonators and ammunition out on the road at night and then they just basically hole up in a building nearby and if an, if an iraqi comes by and picks it up they shoot him he's obviously the enemy okay, okay so if a dirt and... dirt poor peasant picks up something he finds in the road that he thinks is maybe worth money he gets exactly he gets right. one in the 10 ring or even if you know if, if i'm walking down the road here in Canada and I see some bullets on the road I'm going to say I'm gonna leave, not going to leave those for the next idiot to find right, yeah. right. And I'm going to get rid of that right. you're going to wire them to a remote detonator and plant <laughs> them in the nearest culvert I can't believe you know up the chain of command in the military 27 people have to approve any one thing that goes on Nobody along that line th- said to themselves, maybe somebody who isn't, uh, you know, an insurgent is going to pick this up. Well, this technique was actually developed by part of the army called the Asymmetric Warfare Group. Has anyone heard of that? The Asymmetric no. They used to do a lot of interior group. decorating. Yes, <laughs> but they were created about a year prior. So I guess in 2006 to basically for basically unconventional war tactics okay. for, for the so U.S. Anti-guerrilla army. Anti-guerrilla tactics or whatever. Yeah, but, they came up with the idea of planting weapons on uh, civilians that had been ki- Accidentally killed yeah, by exactly. U.S. forces. Gunned yeah. down. It's the classic, uh, you know, from that 1970s cop movie where he drops yeah. his throwdown piece. Throwdown piece. It's like, dude, he had a gun. What can I tell you? They're finding all these dead civilians with 38 specials. Yeah. <laughs> so luckily, as I understand it, uh, these guys are not doing this anymore as they've been charged. But yeah, there were a bunch of American military personnel that gunned down a bunch of unarmed civilians, and they ended up getting court-martialed as well. So so how about that uh, WikiLeaks uh, footage of the helicopter? What's yeah, uh, what's the story is... there? The information I got on that was that the, that particular helicopter crew had been fired on pretty much all day, right? And not so that that's mad. an excuse to take out a journalist, but that explains their, shall we say, heightened history hysterical awareness. Anybody watching that footage doesn't seem like those guys, even though some of them are armed, are insurgents because they're not, for instance, hiding. They're wandering Mm -hmm. around in the middle of the street. And even if you had been shot at all day, my feeling on that situation is if they're not running and skulking behind things or they're not spraying you indiscriminately with with weapons fire, you should probably see what is going to happen next rather than just opening up. Did I just hear recently that that the guy who started WikiLeaks is actually in hiding like somewhere in Europe because the CIA is looking for him because they want to shut him down because he just released a whole bunch of stuff on the afghan war like ninety five thousand pages of secret documents or something it's basically an afghan war diary and even though uh most of the people who have read all the documents are saying there's nothing that we didn't already know i guess the cia is kind of pissed off at him i just saw an article the other day where the cia is or or the uh sorry the department of defense is demanding that they quote return the documents they returned the documents. I don't know. I don't think they understand what digital means. <laughs> <laughs> so how long is this footage, the WikiLeaks footage of this uh, helicopter? 17 minutes and 47 okay, seconds. So I guess the complaint is that's more than enough time to figure out these guys aren't going to shoot at you. Well, here's the, here's the thing. These guys are carrying cameras, but they're mistaking it for weapons. But those guys definitely have weapons. Right. And the the, the uncomfortable part of this is... 
a lot of people won't go out into uh, areas of Iraq without bodyguards. And right. bodyguards are frequently private citizens because right. there's a lot of AKs just lying around still in Iraq. So unfortunately... Oh, but if you pick it up, they'll shoot you. So, you know, these guys are trying to make a make a few bucks by accompanying a journalist. And unfortunately, they pay for it by basically getting completely shredded. So we'll put this... Uh video up on com, of course for all to see if you haven't already seen it already it's and the the really terrible thing is that later on in the video a family van comes over later to try to to help the survivors and they shoot the van and there are kids in the van because the the injuries that the, anybody on the ground would have sustained from I, I let's just assume it's a it's a minigun or a 20 millimeter cannon i, I think it's a 30 millimeter cannon yeah. in the lead up to it they'd be so devastating that even if a minivan pulled up to save these guys they yeah. wouldn't yeah. They There's wouldn't have made it, do. no. And even if they did, they would have been missing significant portions of their limbs. So, I mean, the the whole current Iraq war has so much detail to it that you could pretty much pick any any area right. and have a pretty epic discussion on it, whether it's the uh, evolution of the kind of the weapons or how the insurgency took place. I mean, there's too much to list, as they say in used cars ads. If you invade a country where all your experts say you need 350,000 people on the ground to invade and keep the country stable, and then you cut it down to, what was it, 130,000? in the initial assault, yeah. Every aspect of that invasion is going to suffer because everyone is, they're not going to have enough money or equipment or resources or translators or heavy weaponry or armor, and it's just going to turn into basically what it's, what it's turned into now, which is sort of a, a, can I swear on this podcast? You sure can. Yeah. It's a gosh darn screw up on every level. <laughs> Iraqi freedom. It's enduring freedom, isn't it? Operation No End in Sight. Well, isn't... So when are we pulling out? Isn't that news that we're supposed to be ending this thing uh, at some point? On August 2nd, 2010, President Obama confirmed that all U.S. military operations in Iraq will end by August 31st. What does that mean? Of what though? year? I think he means this year. Uh, although, it says here, think so. beginning September 1, 2010, the American operational name for its involvement in Iraq changed from Operation Iraqi Freedom to Operation New Dawn. Wait, which one was Enduring Freedom? Was it Enduring, enduring freedom? freedom was Afghanistan. The Freedom 
freedom just keeps enduring. Uh, <laughs> there's so many freedoms, I can't keep them all straight. I demand to be free to plant there's, roadside bombs. Yeah, there's freedom fries. Operation freedoms. Iraqi France. Movies? Hurt Locker. That's a gooder. Yeah, that was very good. Yeah, the war won an Academy Award. Except, uh, I remember, Tori, you were talking about the new Star Trek movie and how when the creature was chasing Kirk, it should have <laughs> concentrated on catching the other creature and eating it. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that took me out of the Hurt Locker was when he finds an IED made up of um, artillery shells, which are on average about 150 pounds each. Right. Mm-hmm. And he pulls on all their fuse cords and basically lifts them out of the ground. That's when I knew he had superpowers. But oh, yeah. It's very cinematic. Very cinematic. Hey, she directed Near Dark and Point Break. She directed, she directed Dark. Point Break. That was a fine, fine vampire movie. That was Bill, her first. Bill, that was her directorial debut. The music doesn't really hold up. And it was a nor fan. to the fashions. No, <laughs> I was a fan of Lance Henriksen until I worked with him, and he's a bipolar freak. Oh, oh no. can you say that? Oh, and he has milk for blood. Can you say he's a bipolar person? He's, <laughs> he struggles with challenges of mental illness. How about bipolar lunatic? That's probably a more accurate description of the kind of person. How about that he is. Uh, how about he's a total dick fifty percent of the time? <laughs> yeah, and the other video said he's like crying and hugging you. It's really weird. Did you get Lance Henriksen tears on your shoulder? I did. Oh my god, I would never wash that shirt. <laughs> No. You were you were so crying, Lance Henriksen no, tears. But the worst part of what he was crying about, he was crying about having screamed at me for an entire day the day previous. Oh, I see. He's like, I'm wow. so sorry. I don't know what's wrong with me. Not bad. We do. You're Before bipolar. You're an android. That's what's wrong with you. You're a synth. Ian Holm wouldn't have cried on my shoulder. Oh, Ian Holm would cry in my lap. You know, I'd like stroke his hair. With their new behavioral inhibitors, the uh, tens don't have that kind of twitchy problem. Cornbread. Uh, Ain't nothing Big wrong with that. Big Le- oh, Big Lebowski. The Big yeah. Lebowski. What does that do Refer- with the Iraq War? Reference the Gulf War. Yep, right at the beginning. This aggression will not stand. Will not stand. Oh, yeah, man. Because <laughs> he's watching that on the TV of the supermarket or something? Well, he's writing yeah. a check for Cremo, yeah. Yeah, and then <laughs> later he he quotes George Bush directly. This <laughs> aggression yeah, will not stand, stand. man. <laughs> That's good because I, I never heard President Bush say that new shit has come to light. The guy giving out the uh, bowling shoes was Saddam Hussein in his... Yes. Uh, oh, that's yeah. right. In his crazy dream. (laughs) Did any of you guys see the video of him being hanged or summarily executed? Saddam Saddam Hussein. That's uh, after they pulled him out of his spider hole. Okay, here's what I don't get about the whole Saddam Hussein thing. Like, I mean, I'm sure he was in jail and whatnot, but don't they have combs? Like, that guy had permanent bedhead from the time they took him into custody. That's because he was a doppelganger. You think it was one of his, uh, you think he's still alive? One of his lookalikes? Him and Elvis? Give the dude a haircut or some gel or something. Like, I don't know why he had to have bedhead at all times. I guess the, uh, you know, having him appear like that and get executed... In, Made in him that less culture, he didn't cut a sympathetic character. Yeah, well, yeah, probably, they probably had the army probably had a, or the government probably had a hairstylist who would make him look disheveled. Yeah, that's they actually, he ever appeared they actually on camera. did style his hair, just yeah. not in the way that you th- you would think. And make him look more crazy. And apparently, beat the hell out of his mouth because his teeth are all messed up after being arrested. But before that, it looked like he had some really straight veneers. Well, yeah, keep in mind that uh, you know allowing someone like that, someone like that to appear in public disheveled and uh, beaten, it's sort of a maximum humiliation in that culture as well, yeah. right? Oh, and the hanging, that's not maximum humiliation? Yeah, no, the hanging is just the icing on the uh, humiliation cake. But the cherry on top of the humiliation sundae. Yeah. Very shortly after being uh, after being hanged, you stop being humiliated. Right after you pee yourself, humiliation over. <laughs> no, it. I think that's that's Operation Enduring Humiliation. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, did man. anybody see the Manchurian Candidate? The yeah, new one? The original, the new one? but didn't. not the new one, because the trailer, that I've read the book and I saw the original, and the trailer for the new one, Gave away the fact 
that the mother was pulling all the strings all along. Spoiler oh. alert. <laughs> right. But uh, not a spoiler alert if you saw the trailer for the new Manchurian candidate. Because they that gave the it away in the trailer. Denzel Washington was in? Yeah, Denzel yeah. and Glenn Close and Liev Schreiber. Yeah, that's the guy I was thinking of, Liev and Schreiber. They, yeah. uh, they gave away the whole plot thing. I love it when they assume that everyone's seen the original Manchurian Candidate, so yeah. they feel free to give away like major plot twists. Yeah. <laughs> well, the only plot twist in the whole movie. And they gave it away in the trailer. They're going to do that when they remake like Apocalypse Now, too. They're going to give away. Or the remake of Citizen Kane. It's going to open with Rosebud, right? <laughs> Rosebud. Rosebud the slime. Rosebud, and he puts it away and just puts his... No, no, no. Even better, you get the actual like voiceover guy. He lost his sled. Or he'll just be he'll be on Craigslist looking for Rosebud. Yeah, he was there a man Rosebud. who lost his sled. No, they'll show flashbacks <laughs> to being a kid riding a riding a, a sled, right. and they'll zoom in that it's got, he scrawled Rosebud, Rosebud on, right it. on top of it. Yeah, and then will... there'll be another scene where he's hugging it. I love you, Rosebud. I love sledding. <laughs> and then at you. the end of the movie, when he mentions it, they'll have a slow motion flashback, so everyone really remembers. But then there'll be a montage of him shopping and trying on clothes, so it'll be kind of upbeat after that. Yeah. What a jarhead. Uh, that movie. Uh, everybody I know who saw it in the theaters came back going, that movie was stupid. It's not a war movie. Why don't we get a look at Hall's dong? I didn't like it, actually. I didn't like it either because it didn't seem to have like the pathos that a movie like Full Metal Jacket just supplied yeah. with pretty much oh. every frame. But I think that was the point. The point yeah. was, was there was no pathos. They didn't yeah. have a reason to be over there. Nobody really felt yep. like the people on the ground didn't feel invested. Then Nobody was really in any danger. Yeah. It was like the non-war. The overarching theme of that movie is we, we didn't get to pull the trigger. Yeah. In other words, we didn't get to go all the way in and kick some major ass. No, you know, that was, was the whole yeah. point of that movie. But I, I agree that I don't think it was communicated. I thought the theme was was a cool idea conceptually but mm-hmm. i don't think they really pulled it off yeah somebody if they'd done a better job making the movie it could have been really interesting like the non-war movie it would have been like the seinfeld of war movies right yeah <laughs> <laughs> nothing happens yeah exactly uh three kings love that movie Pro- Again, one probably of those my rare, favorite one of those uh, rare films that is way better than you think it's going to be yeah totally took everybody by surprise especially because ice cube was in it confusing elements <laughs> he always too. takes me by surprise <laughs> yeah <laughs> the element that most confused me is you remember that sort of white trash southern hick that they all kind of yeah. were always sort of trying to control yeah spike jones yeah he was using a really large caliber revolver and when i saw that i thought what kind of weapon is that and so that that element of the movie really confused <laughs> me until i discovered imdb movie weapons and oh. so you know oh, that was wow. resolved and, and now i really like what, that movie. what was it what was it it's basically the equivalent of a shotgun pistol <laughs> which awesome. i think every male has thought of but somebody actually got down and made one on a lathe i thought of it, sold but, it but my wrist said you need me for other things <laughs> use the left if you're gonna fire things. this thing use your left wrist Courage Under Fire was uh, the, about the first Iraq War, was it not? Or Courage Under uh, Fire, was, Fire was actually Meg Ryan crashing her helicopter. Yeah, and, and we we were talking earlier up. about uh, American tanks blowing each other up. That was uh, a pretty major element, sort of, when they were giving background to Denzel Washington's character. And uh, Courage Under Fire, that was where Matt Damon lost like fifty pounds so he could play somebody with like post traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, he was on that way. He was on heroin. Oh, there you yeah, go. Yeah, he That's shot right. between his toes. And uh, Meg Ryan got, uh, like, in the Medal of Honor posthumously or something. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Damn it. I got to start doing that before. <laughs> I think we should just have a spoiler before every segment. There's a, uh, before every, every episode. Mo- every movie <laughs> segment. I think one of the things I like most about The Hurt Locker was the fact that you see Guy Pierce and you're like, oh, Guy Pierce is one of the yeah. stars of this movie. And then, spoiler alert, he gets oh, blown yeah. up. He gets promoted to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> and then it sort of sets the tone for the whole movie because in the teaser, they blow up the person that you think is probably going to be the star of the movie. And I like the way she defied the traditional film trope. If you're someone's going to get killed you're not really that attached to them 
yeah. even though you might have sympathy for their character. But mm-hmm. as soon as, yeah, same thing. As soon as I saw Guy Pierce, I thought, okay, Guy Pierce is going to be carrying a significant portion of this. Oh, wow. And I, I yeah. think she, I think that was done on purpose. Yeah, oh, of course it was. Let's use a recognizable, which is great. The really. thing I liked about that movie, probably more than anything, uh, I'm a bit of a story nerd. And I like the fact that she completely blew up Hollywood Convention. You know, the sort of formulaic narrative, first, second, third act, threw it all out the window. And in, in essence, it was just a series of vignettes yeah. that were kind of loosely strung together by one character. But there was definitely no real overarching, you know, character grows and finds himself and redemption and the whole nine yards. Yeah. And yet it still kept me engaged. Like I was still on the edge of my seat the whole time because mm-hmm. you just she just threw nonstop action at you and didn't yep. let you off the hook. It seemed to be the most realistic film about chronicling the effect of constant low-key combat stress on everybody because you could see everyone's characters slowly heading downhill. And then at the end where we're not really sure if he's a robot or not. Oh, yeah. But his girlfriend is? Comics. Iraq War comic books? Pride of Baghdad. And what is that from the um, Iraqi civilian point of view? Or is that from the American military point of view? It's from the Lions point of view. Say again. Oh, yes. No, I, yes. I think I've even, I might have even read this. Uh, it's a fictionalized account of the true story of four lions that escaped from the Baghdad Zoo after an American bombing in 2003. Oh, and they, wow. they were hired by Blackwater, and they did some horrible things. <laughs> that, well, that's how Blackwater got that claw symbol. They're yeah. like, wow, exactly. these guys kick ass. Because they will hire anyone. Anyone who will maul you. So uh, what, did they, uh, what did these lions end up doing? Uh, they wander around for a bit, eating MREs, and it's pretty good actually. It looks animated, isn't it animated? Well, it's, no, it's, it's, a, comic, it's a comic book, book. idiot. It should yeah. be. They should do an animated version, though. Uh, the story may be read as an allegory: the destruction of the zoo and think? the short-lived freedom of the. You lines. know, they said that about Animal Farm, and I <laughs> didn't believe them. <laughs> Can be seen to represent the decline of Iraqi society after being freed from Saddam Hussein's bath party by the American invasion. That was a TV show from the seventies, Saddam Hussein's bath party. <laughs> hey, welcome! It's an unfortunately named hot tub uh, distributor here in BC. <laughs> Well, that's a great uh, comic uh, and lavishly illustrated. You know what the sad part about that story is? I just realized the play on words that the title is. The Pride of Baghdad. Because lions, Pride of Lions. Group of Lions yeah. and Pride. Oh, right, right, yeah. No, I still don't get oh, that. Oh, Jordan didn't get it at all. Woohoo! I'm not the last. I'm not the, <laughs> nope. we got to keep him around. He's slower <laughs> than I am. So March 30th, 2010, Atomic Games, the developer of Six Days in Fallujah. Fallujah? Fallujah. 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 Which is probably not how an Iraqi would pronounce it, but... Uh, seeking a new publisher because Konami, after a storm of criticism from anti-war and pro-military camps alike... And, and pro-military. Wow. Yeah. They, br- they brought the two sides of the equation together. Ended its plans to publish the, the video game, which that reenacts the Iraq battle of 2004. Were they not asked by a bunch of veterans to create this game? That's what I read just before this. Yep. It was being developed with the help of Marines and other soldiers involved in the battle. So, okay, so the Marines and the soldiers are okay for it, but the pro-military backers and the anti-war campaigners were against it. Yeah, the Hawks How is it possible it. that anything can unite those two sides? You know, that, that battle for Fallujah, there's mistakes, which the Hawks don't want people to see. Uh, and then there's, like, you know, basically the... Uh, glorification? Yeah, but make, how can turning you, it into an entertainment commodity, which is what the, the pacifists are. But how can you glorify and then point to the mistakes simultaneously? Right. Like it's if they're pointing out the mistakes of the campaign, mm-hmm. the, the anti-war people should be for it. Yeah. Right? Well, I think like, for instance, and they're glorifying like, it. Then the anti-war people should be against it. But isn't that, isn't that the both? true of movies as well, though? Don't movies do, don't, aren't these movies? Well, yeah. You look at Full Metal Jacket on one hand. You well, yeah, you can't yeah, really come out of that being pro-war. But. I know. Yeah, I don't know anybody who's anti-war that would be against Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. Yeah. It shines a, a pretty point, yeah. bleak light on the whole. Even Platoon. Top Gun. Like, could you really 
even if you're a pacifist, be against, I mean, before Top Gun? No, before. (laughs) (laughs) So critics uh, said that Konami was capitalizing on a war whose wounds were still fresh. Konami responded with, well, duh. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Why Why do you hate capitalism? 71, 71 U.S. troops and 1,600 insurgents uh, were killed uh, during that uh, Battle of Fallujah. I don't think there's any question that, that if that title ever gets released, it's going to be played like hell. Yeah. So war is depressing in summing up. But the upside of it is there is an awful lot of money to be made. So if you're trying to pull a positive result from this, there is an war problem. Halliburton yeah. is making a hell of a lot of money uh, still. That's good for me. And so is GE. Somehow. And what's good for GE is good for America. Okay. Well, we got to say thanks, Jordan, for coming. Thanks. And we look forward to your next episode of Speedway Squad. Yeah, tell us where we can find you on the internet. Uh, we are currently on iTunes and probably several other places. I understand there is a website. I should point out this time, if you don't listen to Speedway Squad, you probably don't know that I am completely uh, IT illiterate. So the only place I know where to find it is either our website. SpeedwaySquad.com. SpeedwaySquad.com. That seems fairly straightforward. Or uh, I usually just download it from iTunes when I want to like criticize myself. I'm a big Speedway Squad fan. I was a little, I, was a little uh, I didn't know at first. I was like, really? A bunch of my buddies getting together, doing a podcast? How, how could that work? It's kind of a yeah, kind of a crowded <laughs> genre, as I've heard uh, <laughs> someone say. Mm. Three white guys st- sitting around talking. Next time on Caustic Soda. Uh, seismographs recorded seismic waves that traveled all around the Earth. These seismic waves shook the entire Earth for many days. Damn you, Mother Nature. They had boobies, I think. I was about to say it's a uh, temperature gauge for a really fat guy. That's a seismometer, not a seismometer. It's like, screw 10, metric, you can go to hell. It's like, dude, we got to sacrifice, uh, and just looking up and down the street, that kid.